Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So just a, just a quick question. How's your, how's your relationship? How's that going? You feel pretty good about it? If I were to ask you about the relationship, what would you tell me? What would be like the first three words you would use? Now, of course, I'm messing with you a little bit because I didn't say what kind of relationship. I left that open. When I said relationship, what did you go to? Was it a a personal relationship? A relationship with your, your lover, your boss, your neighbor, your kids, your parents, your in-laws? Well, what about yourself? What's your relationship with yourself? Who who went to their themselves when I asked about the generic question about relationships? Go ahead, raise your hand. You know the the hundreds of episodes over the years we've had on the show about human potential, it's really quite clear to me, it's vividly clear to me that humanity is is less than 1% of its potential. What? 1%? Less than 1%. There's so much raw potential in our individual human persona, our human narrative, our human um, psyche, so to speak. And if there's an immense amount of potential in each one of us, there's got to be a gigantic amount of potential in us collectively. How many many people here have been managers? I'm raising my hand. Have you ever had an employee that is just um, so talented, so talented, yet they they didn't really believe in themselves? Uh, they had so much talent, but there was something about their demeanor where they second guess themselves, or they didn't they felt uncomfortable working in a group, or I know I know people that were so flippin' talented, but if you were to ask them if they were talented or not, they'd, they'd blow it off. They wouldn't even think about it. The answer would be, no. Why, why are you even talking to me about that? I'm so excited for our show tonight, and um, I want to really thank our guest, because he literally has got up in the middle of the night. He's in Belgium. He's in Europe. And he's got up in the middle of the night to have this live conversation with us. Tonight, the topic is radical collaboration. And our guest is James Tam. We're going to bring James on in just a minute. But I want to go, I want to visit that relationship thing again. The relationship with yourself and the relationship with all your other relationships. Those two are probably related. The better, the healthier, the more vibrant, the stronger, the confident relationship with you, you have with yourself would ripple into every interaction that you have during the day. Humanity is, I, I think, like I've mentioned before on the show, at a precipice. We've got a new narrative. And it hasn't been written yet. I mean, the proverbial cart fell over in 2020, and and the normal crashed out on the floor. We haven't put a new normal back. Not that we need a new normal, but there's kind of a void. That, well, there's kind of a gigantic void of potential 
of of what we can create amongst ourselves as our new narrative, our new normal, our new way of life. And radical collaboration is, I think, a key element to that. I'm so sincerely, genuinely delighted for this topic and this guest tonight because um, I think we should get to it here. Again, the topic tonight is Radical Collaboration, and our guest is James Tam. Radical Collaboration, Five Essential Skills to Overcome Defensiveness and Build Successful Relationships. That is the name of his latest book. Collaborative skills have never been more important to a company's success, and these skills are essential for every worker today. Radical collaboration is, it's a how-to manual for creating trusting, cooperative environments and transforming groups into motivated and empowered teams. This book provides tools that will help you increase your ability to work successfully with others, learn to be more aware of colleagues, and better problem solve and negotiate. Radical Collaboration is an eye-opener for leaders, managers, HR professionals, agents, trainers, and consultants who are seeking constructive ways of getting the results they want. Our guest tonight is a former judge and an expert on dispute resolution and building collaborative relationships. He has mediated over 1,000 employment disputes over his 25 years as a senior administrative law judge for the state of California. He is currently the managing director of the international consulting firm business called Consultants Network, and his website is radicalcollaboration.com. Please join me in welcoming James to the show. James, it's so nice to get you on the show. It's good to be here, Les. First of all, bravo, bravo. I I noticed this is a second edition of the book, and I love the book. I I think you've done a fantastic job in really breaking down examples and demonstrations of of what collaboration is and perhaps just as important how collaboration is is not accomplished because of our human de- demeanor what what brought you to write this book about radical collaboration well the idea first came about back in the late 1980s when i was a, a judge in california and we kept seeing the same organizations coming through our system with uh with conflicts and, and employment disputes and litigation, and we'd see the same people over and over and over again. And we were trying to figure out how come we keep seeing the same people, uh, you know, the same organizations coming through with, with conflict and other organizations operating in the same environment were much more collaborative, much more effective, and we hardly ever saw them because these super conflicted organizations were costing the state of California a huge amount of money not just for judges' salaries or or courtrooms, but primarily for lost productivity. So a small group of us got together within the state and got a big research grant from the Hewlett Foundation and Stewart Foundation. We did a lot of research trying to figure out what's the difference between the more collaborative organizations and the more conflicted organizations. Uh, And then based on that research, we put together a program to try to teach the more adversarial organizations how to be more collaborative. And we were just wildly successful. I mean, we we were able to reduce the amount of measurable conflict, things like the the amount of litigation, the the number of unfair labor practice charges, the request for mediators or fact finders uh, in 100 organizations by almost 70% over a three-year period, three-and-a-half-year period. It saved the state of California so much money that the state legislature created a nonprofit foundation to keep offering this in uh, the public sector in California. And so based on that, uh, we started 
going out and working with organizations outside of California and outside of the United States, and then it became very international. And uh, in 2004, that's when I wrote the first edition of the book, uh, and it had, I was really quite surprised. I was just kind of putting it down so people could see what we did and, and why this program was successful. Uh, but I had no idea the impact that the book would have. But it got translated into a bunch of different languages uh, and has uh, sold really well. So it became you know, pretty well known and around the world. And my world changed then from from local in California into a global, more global practice. And so now most of the organizations that I work with are large global organizations. But the impact is just the same. You know, it's it's a way of helping organizations and people uh, perform at their absolute best. Because organizations can't compete externally if they can't first collaborate internally. So most of the work we're doing is internal with organizations to help the, the people within an organization or within a community or within a, you know, a university to be so much more effective at collaboration between themselves. Well, it's, it's, I find it interesting that a nonprofit was created to keep, uh, uh, to kind of anchor this, you know, as I sit here listening to you, I'm 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 looking at the education system, uh, at least here in America, and I'd almost mm-hmm. put this in like middle school when when the hormones <laughs> and the emotions start bubbling up, you know, pre-puberty. <laughs> it, well, you know, when we when we started out this this program, that's we started in school districts. We started with labor management relationships in school districts because we were looking for organizations that had a lot of conflict. And we, and back when we started this, there was a huge number of, of labor disputes back in California in public education. Uh, but there we were working with, with union, you know, like teachers unions and classified employees unions and the management of the school districts. And my goal was to always get it into the curriculum of the, of the school district so we could be working with students. But we, it was very difficult to do that because in most school districts, the number of minutes uh, for each, each subject is you know, dramatically controlled. And so most school districts have very little control over uh, or very little ability you know, divert their, their minutes away to to some other program, right. they would have to either add additional days, and and uh, you know, and that's very difficult to do. So I have been just recently during COVID, I spent some time writing another book uh, about uh, teaching collaborative skills to ten-year-olds and twelve-year-olds, ten to twelve-year-olds, uh, nice. and I'm still working on that. I I have a draft and uh, just in the feedback stages right at the moment, but I think that that's where the the future is going to be, you know, if we can get a 10 year olds or, uh, you know, young kids in middle school, like you're talking about to uh, become more effective at collaboration, they're going to be significantly more effective as adults, no matter what they do, whether they, whether they, you know, run a restaurant or, or uh, bus tables or in their marriage or in their, with their neighbors, anybody that has more effective collaboration tools is going to be more successful in life at whatever they want to do. Nice. Well, the, the demeanor or the mindset, if you will, of children are, are so um, sculpted by the family dynamic. And certainly there's all kinds of family dynamics, um, and many of them are very dysfunctional, perhaps domestic violence or a, uh, you know, a broken household or something. And I, as, as kids start to come into their own, if they don't have any uh, collaboration skills, I'm just sitting here thinking, how the hell are they going to have a half-decent outlook on life because everything would be uh, a struggle or perhaps taken personally. So uh, we we were talking just just before the show started about how how the principles of your book radical collaboration 
um, really can translate into the family dynamic, into the um, not just the corporation or the business arena. So when when you work with companies and you bring this material in, what kind of uh, changes have you seen as a result of this material? Well, it's it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty radical, you might say. <laughs> um, <laughs> communication goes up. The number of conflicts go down. Trust goes up. Uh, they're much more effective. They're much more competitive. Uh, because, as I said earlier, you know, they, you, it, it takes a lot of collaboration, of internal collaboration, in order to be a strongly competitive organization. Uh, and they just function better at practically every level. They're, they don't have to waste as much time uh, posturing. They're, they don't put as much energy into self-protection or self-preservation as they do into problem-solving. And so they can they can get to the task of either producing things or solving problems, you know, whatever the organization's task may be, they can get to that more directly and more effectively. Nice. Well, the let's talk about the contents of the book. Now, the the subtitle of the book is Five Essential Skills to overcome defensiveness and build successful relationships. To, to break that down into five essential skills, uh, how would you describe uh, um, how these skills work in a group dynamic? Why don't we start with uh, what the skills are? Sure. Uh, the skill, and the skills are both, they're both, a mindset and a skill set. You know, it's a set of attitudes and a set of competencies. Uh, competencies that are fairly practical, that uh, are easy to learn for the most part, and you can implement almost immediately. The the first skill we call collaborative intention, and the key skill here is being able to stay focused on mutual gains in your relationships when somebody hits one of those you know, speed bumps in the road, when somebody makes a mistake or does something that, that you don't understand, that, you know, that you, it seems odd, do you get curious or do you get furious? You know, can you, can you stay with that mutual intention of meeting everybody's needs or do you uh, get more aggressive and, and uh, try to just, you know, beat the other side? So that's collaborative intention. Uh, the second one is openness, and this is creating an environment that is has high psychological safety, uh, an environment where people feel safe enough to raise difficult issues and deal with them directly. The third skill is self-accountability, and this is having the ability to uh, understand what choices we're making in any given situation, how we're contributing to any difficult situation. And then also, once we're aware of the choices that we're making, then it's taking responsibility for both the intended and the unintended consequences of those actions that we take or sometimes non-actions that we do. The fourth skill we call uh, self-awareness. And there we focus on how people behave in relationships around three key behaviors, inclusion, control, and openness because those three behaviors have a huge impact on how compatible people are in organizations. So we try to get people to better understand what their preferences are. In other words, how much inclusion they want. Do they like working together? Are they like working separately? Uh, do, how much control do they want? You know, and how much control are they willing to give other people? And then how much self-disclosure do they want? How much openness do they want? So we try to help people get a better idea of what their preferences are, but then also become more flexible in those preferences because it isn't our preferences that get us into trouble. It's our rigidity around those preferences. You know, if I always demand to be in control, that's going to create a problem. Or if I always refuse to take control, that's going to create a problem. What you want is somebody that can flex 
So sometimes I'd move up on control, sometimes I'd move down on, on control. So that's one of the aspects of self-awareness. And then the other aspect of self-awareness is helping people get a better understanding about their own defensiveness because that's such a key to building a more collaborative environment or solving problems or even building relationships. Uh, anytime you're in a, especially in a leadership role, if you start getting defensive, uh, it's like pouring blood and water to a shark. You know, it's just going to create a feeding frenzy. So we try to get people to better understand what their defensiveness is about and then figure out how they can spot their defensiveness at an earlier point in the process and then what behaviors they can do or what action they can do to try to moderate the damage of their defensiveness. So that's the fourth skill. The fifth skill is negotiating and problem solving because in any long-term relationship, whether it's a working relationship or a, you know, a family relationship, there's bound to be some conflict. You know, if you don't have any conflict in your relationship at all, it's probably not as productive a relationship as it could be. Either that or you're simply not paying attention or you're overly medicated or in complete denial. You know, there's bound yeah. to be some, some conflict there. So it's helpful if you can figure out how to resolve that conflict in a way that supports the relationship rather than undermines the relationship. So uh, we teach people something called interest-based negotiations, and it's it's a way of of collaborative working together collaboratively to try to solve problems. So those are the five skills. Well, I like that. You know, um, for people to have just in general, for people to have a sense of satisfaction, a, a sense of accomplishment, a, a sense of purpose. So many people, especially over the last couple of years, have kind of uh, fallen into this gigantic narrative of the collective and they're wringing their hands and they're not sure about the future. And um, I think a lot of people are kind of hungry for for something to hang their hat on, so to speak, as far as um, value and quality of life. As you take these five principles into the business workplace, do you notice that the people involved in the process tend to have a, a greater sense of satisfaction and, um, I guess, even happiness in their life? We, we see in organizations every day when they become more skilled at collaboration, their, the engagement level of employees goes up dramatically. The turnover goes down dramatically. The absenteeism goes down dramatically. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty dramatic uh, improvement in the quality of life for those people in that organization. It's not only empowering for the organization, but it's also empowering for the people because all the skills that we're talking about within these organizations are equally applicable uh, when they're when they're taken home, you know, when they're going home, and they're they're dealing with their spouses and their kids and their neighbors. So it it just can't help but make life better for most people. Nice, I like that. Well, the the idea of the the human persona, I mean, just uh, in a general sense, we've talked about on the show for. 12 years now, the, the, the human potential um, is really a powerful, uh, I guess, archetype to work with. It, for me, it seems like people are hungry for, like we were just talking about, meaning and purpose and value in their life, but I think collectively we're kind of hungry for a more authentic narrative, a more um, supportive uh, vision of of the future. Now, 2020 kind of pushed us into our home, so to speak, and moved everything into, uh, in a general sense, uh, um, virtual meetings online through Zoom and Skype and whatever. 
how do these principles apply in kind of that new narrative or that new dynamic where people are uh, people can literally be isolated in their home and and the work uh, dynamic, so to speak, is kind of <laughs> pushed into their head because there's no real physical interaction with others. Have you noticed a difference there? Yeah, it was a, a huge strain on most people, not everybody. Uh, some people uh, are much lower on inclusion. Uh, they love being at home. They love not having to go into work. I mean, there, are some, there were some real advantages for some people. But what I find now is that most people hunger for more human contact. And even though, you know, they're not looking forward to having that, that uh, commute, that long commute once again to get into the office and stuff, they do want human contact, uh, even if that's over Zoom or, or uh, Skype or something like that, you know. Uh, but we find, at least in the, in the organizations that I'm working with uh, around the world, uh, people are anxious to get back and have some human contact with each other. They may not want to come back, you know, full time. Maybe they, they come back part time and they still have some time at home and uh, so they don't have to go through the commute, the same commute in the morning and stuff. But they're desperately missing that human contact. And it isn't so much uh, the meet, being, you know, time in the meeting. It's the time that they see each other in the hallway and chit-chat right. about, uh, you know, what, what was happening, what's going on in your life, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's painful for some people to not have that. So it's been a, it's been a dramatic uh, time for a lot of people, and it's caused a lot of upset in a lot of lives. Wow. Well, now, how with these principles, like uh, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, like uh, say, for example, uh, Coca-Cola, the, the business, the management of the company is very vested. Maybe it's a bad example because they did come out with variations. But what I'm getting at is uh, business management is responsible for growing and protecting intellectual property. And then you have the the workforce that has all these uh, popcorn ideas that um, might seem like off the wall to to the intention of upper management how 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 does that work i mean because it can seem like a little bit of a tug of war where management says well we have this branding and we spend so much on marketing and it's important that the company's seen this particular way and then you have the the rank and file that's actually getting it done and and they're saying well you know what we're making is really nowhere near what it could be let's make some changes and and that invariable kind of, I guess, tug of war uh, as far as what changes should be implemented. How does how do you work through a narrative like that? Well, one of the things that you need to look at is how safe is it for employees to bring their ideas to management. And we find in organizations that we we have a uh, sort of a, a shorthand that we identify organizations with it. Some organizations are very adversarial, very conflicted. We call that a red zone. Some organizations are very conflict avoidant, passive aggressive. We call that a pink zone because it, it, you know, it's just a lighter shade of, of red. And then the organizations <laughs> that we're trying to get to and, and help become are green zone organizations. And one of the huge difference between the red and the pink zone organizations and the green zone organizations, these more collaborative organizations, is uh, how creative there are, they are. Because in a, in a red zone organization, if you try something new and it fails, guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to get blamed. And so people don't want to subject themselves to that. And so what they do is they just keep their ideas to themselves. And so if you're in an organization that requires a lot of creativity in order to thrive, you're, and you're operating in the red zone or the pink zone, you're in deep trouble because they are not creative organizations. P- 
people need to feel safe enough to try something new and fail without losing their job or jeopardizing their career. Uh, and so the green zone organizations, if you try something new and it fails, the conversation usually has more to do with what can we learn from that? How can we avoid that making that same mistake in the future rather than who are we going to blame? So the, the collaborative feeling around an organization, the skill level there, has a huge impact on the, both the engagement and the creativity that you get from the workforces. So part of it is just identifying that, cre- creating that safe environment where people can you know, bring their ideas forth and that they're willing to do that. Because if, uh, if management's not paying attention to them or shuts them down anytime they make a mistake, uh, they're not gonna get the benefit of that. Right. Well, the, so what kind of, I mean, I'm just thinking over, I did the math the other day and I, I started in broadcast television 40 years ago and I've worked for all these gigantic multi-billion dollar TV networks. And, and uh, so often the management has this really rigid structure kind of like a baton they pass from generation to generation of this is how it's done. You know, um, actually, uh, a, a quick side note to that is in, this, in the 70s, there were, there were three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and they were cash cows because there was mm-hmm. nothing to compete for your time and awareness. There was nothing to compete. When you came home, there wasn't a VHS, there wasn't a Game Boy, there wasn't internet, there wasn't an iPad, there wasn't video games. It was just TV. Per- and so the industries got really fat, like really bloated. They would spend money like it was falling off of trees. And then along came cable, 500 channels. Along came satellite, hundreds of channels. Along came all the different ways that industries compete for your attention. And now the big networks are just a sliver of a very big pie, a pie they used to own because there was no competition. So when when such rigidness in business dynamics bumps up against change, what kind of resistance is typical to see um, perhaps on the, on the management side where they feel like they're holding this, uh, this um, frail dynamic perhaps because TV has seen their revenue go down and down and down for decades now. And, and a lot of times they, um, they panic and they don't know how to fix it because the, um, the forecasting shows more of the same. How do you break out of the stigma of the fear of, quote, breaking the model to, to bring in a new dynamic that might be what you need to um, save the industry? Well, we're seeing organiz- every kind of organization is becoming more, the structure tends to be more fluid now. The situation tends to be more fluid. I mean, it used to be you'd go to work for an organization and you'd spend your life there. That doesn't happen anymore. I mean, occasionally it does, but uh, people don't, uh, the, the youth today do not organize their lives around, yes, I'm going to go to work for this company and I'm going to retire from that company in, in 35 years. You know, That just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, so what we're, what we're seeing is organizations in general are being more fluid about everything. A, a great example of this is uh, Google. I mean, Google, they're one of the more data-driven companies in the world, and they realized some time ago that almost all of their work is done in teams, uh, teams that work on a project, and then the project is over, and then the team dissolves, and they go find a different team, you know? So they were trying to figure out how you make the, the best teams, the, the best, highest performing teams. So 
So over a several-year period, they studied 180 of their own teams, both high-performing and low-performing. And if you could think of something, and it could be measured, they measured it regarding these teams. You know, they looked at the gender balances and the age balances and the, the types of degrees people had. They looked at even things like, did they socialize uh, offline? You know, did they go on vacations together? Did they, did they go to dinners together and lunches and things like that? And they studied all this stuff very intensely. And at the end of this period, uh, I think it was a couple of years, they realized that most of the stuff they studied, in fact, almost all of the things they studied, they could do just as good a job throwing a dart at a dartboard for picking teams than, than organizing the way they did. But there was one thing far above everything else that stood out, and that was every single high-performing team had a very high level of something they called psychological safety which is having an environment where people feel safe enough to raise difficult issues and deal with them directly and not put their job at risk. So if organizations can create that kind of an environment, they have a significantly better job of dealing with the changes that they're facing today. Because, you know, nobody, we just don't have Lone Ranger businesses these days. Nobody succeeds alone. It's, uh, it's very rare that some one person invents something, manages it, produces it, and, you know, wins big on it. It's always some kind of a collaboration, always people working together. So if they can create that, that atmosphere of high psychological safety, uh, it, it has a tremendous help in them dealing with the changes that we're seeing today. You know, just like in the, the TV industry that you're talking about, huge changes. And if people are energized and, and fully engaged and, and they feel safe that they can try out new ideas, uh, they're going to adjust to it. And if they're in an organization where it's not safe to try new things, well, then they're going to be one of the dinosaurs and they're not going to survive over time. Wow. So what about, um, let's go back to the, uh, perhaps the fall of 2020. Um, f for me, big conventions, convention centers, where you know the boating industry took over a gigantic, perhaps yeah. Las Vegas convention center. That industry mm -hmm. stopped. S T O P stopped by late just, 2020. Yep. Yep. And and so if if that was my livelihood and my my industry crashed, I mean, that's a powerful sentence to say. My industry crashed. If I'm sitting at home and you talk about psychological safety as a, a key factor to success, I'm, what I'm looking at talking about is to personalize that psychological safety within our own demeanor because um, if you have to reinvent the industry you work for and you have zero skills of ever doing that in your life, let alone it being modeled by someone else, how, how, what can a person do within their own psyche to develop a psychological safety that gives them the courage to start out in really a, a whole new genre for themselves? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I mean, it, does, it, it takes courage. Uh, you know, in, in, in my situation, I, I spent a huge amount of my time giving speeches and where you give speeches, you give speeches at big convention centers, just exactly like you were saying, at big conferences to, you know, a thousand people. Well, now you don't get 15 or 20 people in a room, much less a thousand people in a room. So, you know, how does uh, a speaker go out and do that? Well, you have to adapt. You know, you, you start working online. You do digital programs or you, you write stuff and, and get your materials out in different ways. Uh, you have to reinvent, you don't just reinvent the wheel, you've got to reinvent your whole life in a situation like that. 
And if people uh, are rigid in their beliefs, are rigid in their approach to life, uh, it's going to be a very painful experience for them, you know, because most people don't like a lot of change. Some people thrive on it, but most people (laughs) want to keep things going the way things are going, you know. And uh, this is not a time when you can when you can thrive if you can't deal with change. Wow. Well, um, I want to take it into the family dynamic because um, I'm sure there's parents that are listening to this this episode, and maybe they have some up and coming kids. How how could we bring this kind of uh, intelligence, uh, collaboration intelligence, into a, a, a tutoring or a, a curriculum, if you will, at home? I mean, we've already talked about it in in the traditional education. How can we as parents bring these? Um, collaboration skill sets um, into how we raise our children so to prepare them to give them the skills because it these skills are a very very powerful thing because it it changes people's lives how do we how could a parent use these skills when it comes to raising their children well, I think uh, the same way that you'd use them in an organization, except you address the personal issues. So you still look for a collaborative intention. You know, you still have to see how can I help my kid get their interests met and, and, and the family getting their interests met at the same time. You know, so nice, that's going to require nice. them to be different because the, the kids are, are not going off to school. They're not having friends. Uh, they're not they're not hanging out with their friends, you know. They're having Zoom calls and stuff. So, oftentimes, parents were were upset that their kids were spending so much time online, you know. But if that's the only way that you can have any human contact with your friends, you know, that's going to take some adjustment on everybody's part. So you you focus on that collaborative intention. What? How can we have mutual gains here in our relationship? You focus on creating that environment where it's safe enough for the kids to talk to you, to tell you what's going on in their life. Are they feeling down? Are they feeling depressed? Uh, What excites them? What doesn't excite them? Because this has been a huge downer for most kids. Uh, You know, their their life is, is, if you think it's tough for an adult, imagine what it's like for a kid. My my grandkids, uh, they spent half their life wearing masks. You know, wow. that's a that's a big difference. And, I, you know, I I wear a mask myself. I'm not this isn't about masks. This is about right. something that's dramatically different than most of us. It's not the childhood that most of us had. So you need to create that environment where it's safe enough for kids to talk about it. And you have to go out of your way to encourage them to talk about it and talk about what their pain is and talk about what their feelings are. Let them share them so they're not just stuffing them, you know. Uh, self-awareness. You've got to pay attention to help the kids learn uh, what their reactions are, what their feelings are. Why are they so depressed someday? Most kids don't even have a word for that. So the, the adults have to take some, you know, have to be on the lookout for that. They have to help the kids, counsel them, coach them through those those difficult times. And of course, problem solving. You know, uh, you have to when you have problems. You have to be focusing on the interest of all the parties, focusing on the interest of the kids. And parents are oftentimes are not used to doing that. You know, their parents oftentimes set up themselves as the rule makers. They make the rules and the kids follow the rules. Well, that doesn't work that very well if, uh, if the kids don't have any other life. If everything is focused on at home and they just have to follow the rules, <clears throat> so it's important for the adults in that relationship to start thinking about the underlying interests of the kids as well. So the skills are completely applicable in, the, in that same situation, the same way that they're applicable out in industry or in the military or in government. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a roadmap for people to try and help their kids get through these difficult situations. 
Very nice. Well spoken. Well, we've got just under 10 minutes left. I want to I want to kind of talk about the value. Talk about you know like uh when my heart told me I should start to write books, I'm like, "Oh hell no. I'm not I I don't want to be a writer." <laughs> and and People might be listening to this program thinking, well, you know, radical collaboration, that's really, you know, that's that's kind of a, a cool topic, but I'm not so sure that there's value in it for me. So let's talk about the value in it for them and and the the changes, the transformation that, that you've noticed in people individually and even in groups collectively to um to to reflect on how just how much there is to discover about ourselves and and when we spend time to to improve our, these skill sets that we have how it can improve our lives well if you if you break down in, uh radical collaboration into the the biggest chunks you'll find that there's Part of the skills are relationship-building skills. The other part of the skills are problem-solving skills. Um, and if people can improve in both of those areas, it's going to make them more flexible. It's going to make them more productive. It's going to make them happier. Uh, all around, uh there's very few things that you can do these days, I think, more that, that are going to be more helpful to individuals than giving them some basic relationship skills and problem-solving skills. They can use that in, in a variety of different ways, but they have to have those skills if they're going to get through the kind of situation that we're in today. Well, nice. Now... Um, you're the managing director of Business Consultants Network. Do you do you offer classes or do you offer packages yeah. where you work with uh, yeah. companies? Yeah, we have we we put on radical collaboration workshops uh, around the world. There are uh, trainers in I think. Uh, well, 30 different countries. Uh, we have the training materials in like 18 different languages. Uh, we operate. I would say most of the most of the training that we do is within organizations, but that's all different kinds of organizations. Uh, it's it's government. It's uh, the military. It's NASA. It's uh, higher education. I mean, we have a number of places where we're teaching this. I'm teaching this myself at the Stockholm School of Economics, in the Leadership Academy at the University of California, in MBA programs in Peru and Panama and Mexico. Uh, so there's a lot of places. Typically, if we're going in and working with a like a team or uh, say a, a, a particular facility uh, where employees are, we typically would do like a three-day workshop. Sometimes it's a little shorter. Oftentimes it's a little bit longer, depending upon their kind of circumstances. But there are there are uh, trainers around the world that do this with organizations uh, and all all different kinds of organizations. So it's it's uh, available if people want to get more skillful at, at collaboration. Well, it's uh, part of the reason I'm so excited about this episode is that. The radical collaboration brings results, results that not only change the dynamic of the environment, be it business or personal or family or whatever, but to, it, I guess to put it into words, you're making people more authentic to themselves, more harmonious to themselves, and and their quality of life goes up. If, if Well, you know, listener, that's, that's that huge that's a huge part of self-awareness. Uh, if you can eliminate your blind spots, you're going to be more authentic. 
if you can eliminate your triggers, uh, be less defensive, it's going to have a huge positive impact on your ability to build relationships, which is what people are thirsting for today. Right. Well, if there's a listener on the show that's thinking, well, I want to make a positive impact on the world. I want my life to count. I want to help humanity through a very transitional time of our, our history. Do you have training programs for for people to become certified and qualified yeah. to teach this material? We do. We do, as a matter of fact. Uh, so first, I would, I would recommend uh, if people have some interest, you know, in, in what they're hearing, I would encourage them to get a copy of the Radical Collaboration book and just take a look through it to see if it is, if it does feel like it's a good fit for them. Uh, yes. If it does, then I would suggest you explore one of our, our three-day workshops. There, you can go to the Radical Collaboration website, radicalcollaboration.com, and we've got a calendar there, and, and, and take one of the three-day uh, workshops if that looks like that's something that you have a strong interest in, uh, then then to, as a follow-up to that, you have to go through the three-day workshop first. But as a follow-up, we have a seven-day trainer certification program where people get certified to teach the radical collaboration skills in organizations and in, in communities and, and open workshops. So there's a way that they can get certified if they want to do that. Well, while we have the attention, oftentimes we have oftentimes the the trainers that are most interested in it are people who have some either uh, community organizing work or some consulting background or some training background, and they want to take these skills back to their organization or their neighborhood uh, or their you know their community. Uh, so it's a natural fit that way. Very nice. Well, I, I want to make sure we we cover um, the resources that you have to offer. We've already been talking about some of them. Go ahead and take the time and, and give us the, the, the full picture of how to get your book. Uh, we've already talked about the website. Just fill in the blanks for us. Sure. Um, the website's a, a probably one of the best sources of information is radicalcollaboration.com. It has information about the training. It has information about the skills. It has articles. Uh, it has uh, my TED talk on it. Uh, that's another thing that people can take a look at. It's only 14 minutes. It's uh, cultivating collaboration. You know, don't be so defensive. And if you just, if you Google that, the, the, uh, the uh, TED talk will come up. Uh, so that's a good resource. Um, and of course, the book uh, is available. It's available on Amazon. Uh, that's probably the easiest, uh, quickest way to get it is Amazon. You can order it through any bookstore too. Um, those are the the main sources of information. And then, if you're listening from a different country, uh, we have different. Uh, we have partners in in lots of different countries. So. Uh, just know that the material, all the training materials, uh, and the book itself is in a lot of different languages. Um, so if you're living in Europe, there's there's lots of places where you can get trained there. If you're in Asia, there's lots of places you can get trained there. And, uh, you know, check it out. See if it's a good fit. Anybody can send me an email, uh, and I'm happy to respond to that, Jim Tam at RadicalCollaboration.com. If you have any questions or you just want to toss an idea around, I'm, ha- I'm always happy to do that. Well, very nice. Um, like I said before, bravo, very nice book. I'm very impressed with this book. It's a very comprehensive book with examples, very clear and articulate. I think you've done a fabulous job. Thank you, Les. I appreciate hearing that very much. It certainly has um, uh, made a difference to a lot of people. I'm so glad you're walking around on the planet. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Well, I'd like to leave on a, a note of optimism, I think, that uh, you know, everybody is struggling during COVID. 
and everybody thinks, oh, this is awful and stuff. But I just want to keep it in perspective that if you look at, at what people have done over the last couple of years, there has probably never been a human endeavor on the planet Earth that has saved as many people's lives as the collective collaborative work of people around COVID. You know, all the different laws that the community communities have passed and governments have, have passed and all the different protective things that people have done. Yeah, they create, they restrict us in some ways, but they have saved hundreds of millions of lives, billions of lives. I mean, this, this COVID, if, if no one had done anything at all, this COVID could have wiped out half the planet. And it didn't. I mean, yeah, it's, it, the, the toll has been tragic, but it is a, a wonderful example of how spontaneous collaboration around the world saved millions and millions and millions of lives. And I'd like us not to lose track of that. It's a, it's a nice message to keep in mind when we're, when we're feeling constrained because we have to wear a mask on an airplane or, or on a bus or something like that. You know, it's like, well, you know, we managed to save a lot of people. So we should, we should take some pride in that. This has not been just an awful thing. Well, James, uh, what a what a great episode! I want to thank you for being our guest tonight, and I want to thank you for getting up in the middle of the night to have this conversation with us. It's been so nice having uh, you on the show. I really appreciate chatting with you, Les. It's been a pleasure for me, and I don't mind getting up to talk to you at all. It's been it's been quite nice. So, thank you for this opportunity to share something that I'm I'm quite uh, proud of and pleased with. So. It'll, it'll have an impact on people. We've been talking with James Tam, and the topic tonight is the, the name of his latest book, Radical Collaboration, Five Essential Skills to Overcome Defensiveness and Build Successful Relationships. Successful Relationships. Relationships. How's that relationship with yourself coming? All right. To to take the time to improve your relationship with yourself, I think is some of the best spent time you can ever spend. Because when you grow yourself in this moment, you're a different person for the rest of your life. How many of us know people that have had the same mindset and they're pretty rigid and they don't like change and maybe a little grumpy and a decade later, they're the same person and then flip that coin over. How, how many people, you know, that are willing to try new things and grow themselves and take chances and, and fail and get up and try again. And it's, as we've talked about so many times on the show, the power of the human persona we're really powerful creatures when we when we get focused and intentional about that. So I'm thrilled. I'm delighted for tonight's episode. I I really genuinely like this book, Radical Collaboration. It it's so well written, and I think it's well. It's easy to say it's a powerful book because it it changes who you are, and you're powerful. Anything that Anything that brings your relationship with your own personal power to a, a new plateau, a, a new standing or stature, changes who you are for the rest of your life. And speaking of you, I want to thank you, our guests, for listening to this episode. Here we are at the end, and here you are too. I applaud you for showing up for yourself. What an exciting time to be alive on planet Earth. I think we're ripe with um, huge trillions and trillions of uh, dollars of potential, of untapped potential in creating a new narrative for humanity. The, the human heart is, it's really hungry for a more authentic, a more genuine story. And to fill that void 
it is really ripe with opportunity. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure spending time with you. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.